Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, church. Good morning again. And uh, yes, good morning. (laughs) Uh, What a beautiful um, uh, thing we got to witness today with the children and with uh, David especially. Um, Well, I want to title my message this morning, um, Church Clothes, Your New Church Clothes. That's what we're talking about this morning in the passage that that was read to us. Um, several years ago, while I was away at school, um, I had the opportunity to visit different churches, different churches. And one thing you discover quickly when you visit different churches is that um, how a church dresses tells you something about who they are, about their identity, okay? So I visited this one older uh, congregation, and... Um, Almost everyone I could see was wearing either a suit and tie or a formal dress, okay? They took Sunday best literally, right? And even though I combed my hair nicely and I wore a nice button-down shirt, I think it was gray, like some one of those, you know, um, neutral colors, I didn't fit in. I didn't feel like I fit in. And yet, the next week when I went down the street the following Sunday to the younger congregation, where some of the uh, people were wearing, you know, those bright colored shorts, right, and backwards hats, and the pastor had a v-neck and some jeans on. And... But to them, I'm sure, I was too dressy, almost snobbish. I, I, I didn't fit the come-just-as-you-are theme and vibe that they were going for. Because you see, the clothing we wear as a church speaks to who we are. It speaks to our identity. And before you run outside and go and get changed, please, I'm not talking about shirts and pants and shoes, right? I'm not talking about physical clothes, but spiritual clothes, spiritual clothes. You see, over the past few weeks in our series, for those of you who are our guests this morning, we've been in the book of Colossians, and Paul has been teaching the church in Colossae that there are some things, some, some old clothes that they need to put off. Right? Some, some clothes, clothes, the clothes of sin. Right? We, we covered things like anger. We covered lying. Right? Sexual sin. Greed. These are the old clothes that match your old identity. Before Jesus came into your life, that's who you were. But now, in our text this morning, Paul is saying, you have a new identity. You have a new identity. And because of that, there are some new clothes that we are to put on, some new clothes that we're to wear. And I see at least three main pieces of spiritual clothing, three traits, okay? Um, and that's what we're going to cover in this, in this message, three things. Any visitor to our church, and we have some visitors with us this morning, any visitor to our church should be able to see us wearing these three items. Are you ready? Here it is. Love, peace, and thankfulness, okay? Love, peace, and thankfulness. 
Any visitor who comes should be able to see us wearing this. And so as, as I dive into this message, I just I want to make this personal for each one of us. And I hope that you won't take the approach, ah, love, peace, I already know this. I hope you don't take that approach. Because I believe, as, as our, our, our elder Bruno prayed just now, I believe we're not here by mistake, each one of us, that God has ordained for you to be here this morning and for us to be covering this particular text. There's something in this for us that if you consider yourself a Christian, if you say, I have that new identity, I am a Christian, I am in Christ, then the question is, have you put on the clothes which fit that identity? Love, peace, and thankfulness. So if you can open your Bibles, if you haven't already, please, to uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. You're going to need your Bibles. If you, if you need one, please just slip up your hand and our ushers can grab you a Bible if you need one. But um, you're going to need to follow along and we'll get the verses up on the screen as well. And just as we begin, if you allow me to pray once more, let's pray as we just focus our hearts on the text. Father, I just thank you again for this morning, the things we got to witness and Father, um, there are some old clothes that some of us are still wearing even this morning. Some things that we've brought with us that are just, they're old. They're not part of who we are anymore. And yet we still continue to wear those old clothes. And in this text, Father, you are telling us that we need to not only put off those old things, but we need to put on something new. So would you help us, oh God, this morning? Help each one of us. This is not going to be easy, and so I pray that you will help us to put on the clothes that are fitting with our new identity in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Look at your Bibles at verse 12. We're starting in verse 12, and as Paul begins, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Holy and beloved. I want to pause there because before he can tell you what you need to wear, before he tells you what's the clothing you need to put on, he first chooses to remind us of our identity. What is your identity now that you're a Christian, now that you're in Christ? And he tells us in three words, he says, you are chosen, holy, and beloved. Okay? And so if you're a Christian this morning, and many of you consider yourselves a Christian, I want to I tell you this. If you're genuinely a Christian, here's what the Bible says. You are chosen by God. God chose you. He has set you apart as holy. He set you apart from the rest of this world as holy in His sight. And He loves you dearly. He loves you dearly. That's what that word beloved means. This is your threefold identity now that you are in Christ. Paul says it elsewhere as well. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, those same three words. Look at this. He says, even as God chose us, there's the first word, in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, there's the second word, and blameless before him. And then he says, in love he predestined us, the next verse. He did all, why did he do it? Why did he, because he loves you. Chosen, holy, and loved. Theologians call this the doctrine of election. Have you heard of that? Yeah, you've heard of that. If you've been in this church long enough, you, we've, we've studied this in Bible study, right? It's one of the most challenging doctrines in the whole Bible. So today is not the day for me to, to dive into it, okay? If you want to talk about it more, we can talk about it in the Bible study. 
But let me briefly say this for the sake of all of us here. When we say that God elects us, it's not the same as when you and I elect other humans, okay? Um, growing up, many of you remember this, on the playground, okay, at recess time, we would go outside, right? And before we play a sport, we would pick teams. Does anyone relate to this? Is it just me? Yeah, right? We'd pick teams, and there'd be two captains, right? And the two captains would choose individuals name by name, right, to join your team. And if there's anything I can tell you about that process, you don't want to be the last person chosen, right? Do you know why you don't want to be the last person? And don't, don't laugh at me. I, I know. I know from experience. And many of you probably do too, right? <laughs> that when you're the last, what does that mean? It means if you're the last person picked, you are probably the slowest, weakest, like most uh, unskilled player available. In fact, probably both teams didn't really even want you, right? If you're the last person, they're like, okay, fine, you take Ian, right? That's what happens. That's what happens. And so that's what we think about when we think about election growing up. We think about, okay, it's choosing the best person, right? It's choosing someone based on their, their merits. And even as we grow older and now we have a federal election coming up, right? You guys know that, right? September 20th? There's a federal, here in Canada, we have to elect the next government. And so, um, <laughs> you may be wondering, okay, well, well, how does this apply to election? Well, how are you going to choose who you're going to vote for? By the way, please go out and vote, right? That's a, that's, a, that's a responsibility we have as civilians, right? A right and a privilege. Go out and vote. Um, but how are you going to choose who you're going to vote for? Well, you're going to look at their platform, right? You're going to see whose values most align with my values, and then you're going to choose the candidate who most stands out to you. Isn't that what you're going to do, right? You're going to choose the person who most impresses you, or at least the least of all the evils, right? You're going to choose, somehow you're going to make this decision, and that's how we elect people. But church, can I tell you something? If that's how God elects us, guess what? None of us would make it. If that was the way God chose us, none of us would make it. You know why? Because we were unholy sinners who hated God. That's who we were. I'm speaking to you as a church. That's who we were. We hated God. And so, does it not amaze you that God didn't choose you based on how good you are? but rather how good He is. Can I say that again? God didn't choose you based on how good you were. He chose you based on how good He is. He chose you in spite of who you were, in spite of the fact that you were a sinner, God loved and chose you in Christ and made you holy in His sight. And do you know what this means? If you were not chosen based on your skills or your goodness or anything else, do you know what this means? It means that you are not better than anyone else in this room. That's what it means. Because this is humbling, right? You are not better than anyone. Leave this room, even outside this church. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends... Because God didn't owe humanity anything except for the wages of sin, which is 
which is death. Eternal separation from him. That's the bad news. And yet the good news, the good news, why do we celebrate as a church? What are we singing about this morning? The good news is that by his sovereign grace, for his glory, he chose to send his son Jesus to die for your sins, to rise from the dead, so that now you could have life, and not just life, you have a new identity. You have a new, you're not the same as you, as you once were. You are chosen, holy, and beloved. And if this is your identity, what should you put on now? Okay, what should you wear? Here's the first point. The first thing we need to put on, the first outfit, if you will, is love. Okay, it's love. And um, <clears throat> this outfit of love is made up of different items. So my fashion vocabulary ends there, okay? I really don't know what I'm saying. But you know how an outfit has like different like... Um, Elements, accessories, you guys know it, right? Different items, you know what I mean? Just like that, the outfit that God has called us to wear first is love, and that love comprises or shows itself in different ways, different items, starting in verse 12. And as you look at your Bibles at verse 12, and as we go through these items, I want you to think to yourself very carefully, do these remind you of anyone you know? Okay? Think carefully, do these remind you of anyone you know, okay? Number one is compassionate hearts. Do you see it there? Verse, um, let's go back to Colossians 3, verse 12, compassionate heart. Does that sound like anyone you know? Who has a compassionate heart? And if you need a hint, Matthew 9, 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, I'm just going to drop some hints here. The second thing he says is kindness. Do you know anyone who has shown kindness to you? Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness, not knowing that his kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? Kindness. Okay, are you seeing where I'm going? <laughs> the third one, humility. You see humility, right? What's humility? Humility is counting other people more significant than yourself. That's what hum humility is, is, is looking to their interests. Do you know anyone like that who emptied himself and took the form of a servant, humbling himself even to the point of death? Do you know anyone like that? Philippians 2 verses 1 to 11. The fourth item is meekness. Meekness, we don't use that word meek a lot, but, but another word for that is gentleness. Okay, do you know anyone who is gentle? Matthew eleven twenty nine says, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Meek, gentle. The fifth one is patience. Has anyone been patient with you? Meaning to take the long view, like not to rush to judge you, to be very patient. Who's been patient? Well, Paul knew someone who was patient with him. Look at this, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. Look what Paul says. He says, I received mercy for this reason, that Jesus Christ might display what? His perfect patience. While Paul was a sinner who hated God, while you and I were sinners who hated God, he showed what? Patience. In little David's life, God is going to show what? Patience. He can't, he's not at an age yet where he can accept the Lord. He's going to go through seasons. We're going to try to support him and the parents are going to try. But God has to show patience. Patience. 
as an example to us. So you see, church, when we look at these clothes, okay, that Paul is telling us to put on, what do we realize? These are new clothes to you and me, right? Because they're different than the old clothes, right? Remember the anger and, and sexual sin and greed? It's, it's new clothes to us, but these are not new clothes. These are borrowed clothes. Do you see that? These clothes have been worn by someone else. And his hand-me-downs are more beautiful and pure than anything money can buy. Anything money can buy. It's Jesus Christ. It is his clothing that Paul is asking you and me to put on. His clothes. His clothes. He spells it out in verse 13. Look at verse 13 in your Bibles. Again, Colossians 3, 13. He says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, here it is, as the Lord. There he is. He spells it out. Who's the Lord? Jesus. As Jesus has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Now, in this verse, <clears throat> Paul tells us to bear with each other, okay? So I want to try something. I hope it's not too awkward, you know, based on where you're seated. Can you turn to the person beside you? Sorry, Shavant, maybe we'll do it. Um, turn to the person beside you, and I want you to say to them, keep your mask on, okay? But I want you to say to them, um, please bear with me, <laughs> okay? Turn to, go ahead, do it, let's do it. Please bear with me. <laughs> please, this is what, yeah, this is what, this is what, this is what Paul's asking us to do. I know, some husband and wife combos, you got to, okay, maybe you'll carry this conversation on in the car later, right? Please bear with, maybe this is bringing up some stuff, I don't know, right? But please bear with me. Do you know the fact that Paul is telling us to bear with each other, do you know what it tells us? It means that in the church, there will be people who you find what? Unbearable. You're laughing because it's true, right? There are people you find unbearable, otherwise you wouldn't have to tell us to bear with one another. And I'm not talking about false teachers. Okay, do you remember in chapter 2, we were looking at false teaching, and, and Paul, Paul says, do not tolerate false teaching, right? So don't bear with false teaching. But, what he said, but we are to tolerate with one another. We are to endure one another. And see how specific he gets in verse 13. He says, if someone has a complaint, that means if you have a grievance, right, against someone else in the church. And when I look at you all... It looks like you don't have grievances, right? You all look very happy. There's no drama in the church, right? There's no conflicts. But the truth is, we've all experienced this. Come on, you can't not. Yeah, you've, you've had a complaint against someone, have you not? Right? My complaint right now is you're not responding the way I thought you would, right? We have complaints against one another. And he's not talking about complaints about your boss at work. Remember, Paul is writing to who? The church. So when he says, bear with one another, it's, it's among us there's a problem. Among us. It's not about your na noisy neighbors. And, no, it's, it's here among Christians. Perhaps someone said something to you that hurt you. Right? In church I'm talking about. Perhaps someone did something that, that offended you. Or perhaps they didn't say the thing they should have said. <laughs> right? Or they didn't do the thing they should have done and you feel wronged. Well, to you, Paul says, if, if you complain that you've been sinned against, or if you complain that you've been betrayed, he says, forgive one another. Forgive. And you may say to me, well, you know what? How can I do that? It's easy for you to say that from up here on the pulpit. How can I do that? You don't know what people have done to me in this church, right? You don't know what people have said about me in this church. 
Well, at the risk of sounding harsh, I want to say this as lovingly as I can. Let me remind you, church, that you betrayed Jesus Christ. You did that, right? If you're a Christian, your sins nailed the, the spotless Lamb of God on a Roman cross. What am I saying? Your offenses against God are so much worse than anything a church member has ever done to you. Can I say that again? Your offenses against Almighty God are so much worse than anything a church member has ever done to you. And so Paul says, forgive. And so he says, forgive one another. Well, you may say to me, okay, well, how many times should I forgive? This person continues to hurt me again and again and again. How many times? Peter asked the question, right, in Matthew's gospel. You can read it later, Matthew 18. He says to Jesus, should I forgive him seven times? And what does Jesus say? He says, no, 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 77 times. And, I, and for us to understand the magnitude of what Jesus is saying, do you know in Judaism, if you forgave someone three times, that was considered, wow, like, like you have a forgiving spirit. That's what it meant. If you forget three, three. So do you know what Peter did? He took the number three, he doubled it, and he added one. Right? For those of you who know, right? Three times two and right? So he doubled it, he added, and he thought, surely this is this is this is generous, right? And he says it to Jesus. Jesus says, No, take that and multiply it tenfold. That's how many times. What's Jesus saying? He's not saying count up to 77. He's saying, don't keep count. Forgive and forgive and forgive again. Do you know why you have to do that? Because that's how Jesus forgave you. Can you imagine if Jesus stopped at 78? Can you imagine? He didn't do that to you. And so we are to do the same to one another. This is the model that, that he has set before us. So the next time you say, I'm having a hard time forgiving this person, Paul is reminding us or telling us, remember how frequently and how grievously you sinned against God. And then remember how often He forgave and forgave and forgave you again. Even when you continue to sin, remember that He didn't leave a single sin unpaid for if you've repented and believed. And if that's you, if that's you as a Christian, then you can forgive. Then you can forgive. Right? And so in verse 14, he says, above all these, these are the items, right? The parts of the outfit. Above all these, here's the outfit. Put on love, right? Which binds everything together. You see, love is what unites all the virtues we just talked about. From verses 12 to 13, think about it. Like, how can you have a compassionate heart without love? You can't. How can you be kind or, or, or humble, or meek, or patient, or how can you bear with one another, or forgive each other, if you don't have love? In fact, these are all expressions of the same outfit of love. And when you put on love, when we do that as a church, what happens? The church is brought together in perfect harmony. You see that in verse 14? Harmony. If you remember last week, um, Pastor Ronald was looking at chapter 3 earlier. If you look up in your Bibles to verse 11, can you look at verse 11 for a moment? Just a few verses earlier in verse 11. 
This was the makeup of the church back then. Okay, just look at this, look at this list. The makeup of the church in those days was Greeks, Jews, uncircumcised, circumcised, barbarians, um, Scythians. Do you remember those guys? They were the worst. Do you remember that last week? Cannibals and Scythians, slave and free. So do you realize, church, that these are people groups that the world could never, ever unite? Like these people would never be in the same room, right? They would never, and yet they were because Christ brought them together. And if you look around this room, can you take a second and just look around? Look around. You know, they tell you in church, don't look at other people. But right now, I'd like you to look around. Look around. Look at each other. We shouldn't be together. Can I say that? By the world's standards, there's no reason that you and I should be together because we come from different backgrounds. We come from different socio and economic and ethnic and, and demographic backgrounds. We are from different generations and ages and, and interests. We have different jobs and we, we have different homes and we come from different neighborhoods, don't we? We have different personalities, vastly different tastes. And some of us, we even have opposing opinions, right? On politics and, and the pandemic. And yet, the love of Christ unites us. Do you see that? The love of Christ unites us in perfect harmony. This is an expression the worship team knows well. It's beautiful as you all sang, but that, that idea of harmony is when two distinct notes Different notes are sung together in such a way that they perfectly complement each other and the beauty of the music increases. That's what harmony is. And that's what love does to us as a church. It brings harmony. So this is the first piece of clothing, okay? Love. And, and when we love each other like this, what happens? We showcase to the world our harmony, right? Our peace, and the peace that people see among us points to the peace we have within us. Can I say that again? The peace we have among us in the church points to the peace we have within us. So that's the second um, part of the, uh, the second piece of clothing you need to put on is peace. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, what does Paul say? He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. Let the peace of Christ rule. You know, chances are today, as I'm talking to you, if you were to think carefully in your life, chances are there's someone in your life today that you consider an enemy, right? A human enemy, right? It's just someone, might be at work, might be, your, might be in your extended family or whatever. Someone who is just, you feel like that person is against me, right? I, I know I've had that before, right? Maybe you do too right now. Human enemies. And you know the first thing you lose when you have an enemy is your peace. When you know that someone out there is against you, you lose your peace, don't you? Right? Like in your heart, you feel disturbed. Like there's this, some kind of disorder, right, that needs, that's it's, it's unsettling. That's with a human enemy. And yet, church, do you know who your greatest enemy was? Your greatest enemy. And don't say the devil. You know, sometimes as Christians we think, okay, my greatest enemy is the devil, right? Don't we think that? No. Your greatest enemy when you were dead in your sin was who? Was God. 
was God. Think about that. The holy God of the universe, judge of all the earth, to whom everything is exposed and nothing can be hidden. He was your greatest enemy. Right? He was. Do you know there's a, there's a, there's a passage in the Old Testament where the prophet Isaiah comes before God. Okay, if you want to read about it, read about it at home, Isaiah chapter 6. So he comes before God, and God is seated on his throne, high and lifted up, and the angels are singing, holy, 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 and the foundations are shaking, and, and there's smoke filling the air, and through trembling lips, do you know what Isaiah says when he's faced with God? Do you know what he says? He says, woe is me, for I am what? Lost. He says, I am undone. Do you know why? What did he realize in the presence of the holy God? That he was a sinner. He couldn't, he couldn't survive. He, he was a man of unclean lips, he says. And so, Christian, I want to remind you that if, if Christ or if your sins were not atoned for, if your guilt has not been taken away, you and I would not even survive the presence of God. That's the kind of enemy he was to us. That's the kind of enemy he was. If you saw him, you would die. That's the kind of enemy you had. And yet, as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16 says, through Jesus, look at this, through Jesus, you and I have been reconciled to God. You know what Jesus has done through the cross? Look at the end of the verse. It says, killing the hostility. You know, sometimes when we talk about God, we say God is loving, God is warm, God is fuzzy. We, we give those kind of impressions to people. But do we tell them that actually as a sinner, you had a hostile relationship with God? It's true. And only because of Jesus was the war ended. You were at war. And it took Jesus dying on the cross to end that war. And do you know what happens next? I just want to, I think this is so cool. Um, here you are, right, and you feel like, okay, I'm not holy, right? When I said earlier your identity is holy, you may think, I don't feel holy, but I want to tell you something. When you have Christ in your life, Christ's holy life covers over you, okay? You're still a mess, right? You're, you're, you're growing, but you're still a mess, but Christ's holiness covers over you. So when God looks at you, He doesn't see your sin, to which he would be hostile, he sees what? He sees Christ's righteousness, Christ's holiness, and so he has peace with you. That's how God has peace with us, because of Jesus. Um, as, I, as I studied this text, um, I hope this is not too much. This is just, it's just a tidbit, okay? Um, there's a, a commentator, John MacArthur, as he's, as he's explaining this verse, verse 15. If you can go back to verse 15, Andy. Um, it says, the peace of, let the peace of Christ rule, right, over your hearts. And that word rule, you know what it actually means? It means be an umpire. Do you know what an umpire is? Okay? I could probably give a cricket analogy, but I'm going to give a baseball analogy. Okay? For this crowd, I know I could give a cricket, but I'm going to stick with baseball. So when the pitcher is pitching, the ball comes across the plate, and there's an umpire who's, who's standing there, and he's watching as the catcher is about to catch the ball. And he calls every pitch, either it's a strike or it's a ball, right? Strike one, ball two, right? That's what the umpire does. And so what is Paul saying, actually? He's saying, if the peace of Christ, if you put on the peace of Christ in your heart, it acts like an umpire, okay? So every decision that comes to you now, like a pitch coming at you, the umpire, the peace of Christ, is going to decide yay or nay, 
right? Okay, this decision is going to maintain my peace with God. Let's go for it, right? Or, oh, this decision, this is going to disrupt my, this is going to lead me into sin. I'm going to run from that. That's what the peace of Christ does for us. When you have the peace of Christ in your heart, isn't that amazing? So we are to put on love, put on peace, and, and, and finally, it brings us to the final piece of the wardrobe, this new wardrobe, thankfulness. Okay, thankfulness. Let's take a look. Look at the end of verse 15. It's very short. It says, and be thankful, right? But he's not done there. If you look at, if you look at your Bibles at 16 and 17, do you notice what, that he says in both verses, he also says, thankful. He says, give thanks, thankfulness. So in three verses, three times, he's saying, be thankful, which tells me that this is important. This is an important thing that we need to put on. And so I like to think of it as a jacket, you know, a jacket that covers over, covers over everything that we do as a church is thankfulness. Look at verse 16, okay? I want to tell you at least three things in verse 16 that we are to be thankful for. Look at verse 16. The first thing Paul tells us you must be thankful for is this, the Word of Christ. He says, let the, that's the Bible, right? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you abundantly or richly. Dwell means to take up residence, to live in you. And so what he's saying is um, the Bible contains all wisdom. Do you see that in verse 16? All wisdom, it says. So what does the word all mean? It means that nothing is lacking. That's what all means. When you say all, you mean that you have everything you need right here. There's no supplementary textbook that you need to purchase in order for you to get, gain all wisdom. It's all right here. It's here. And so my question to you is, if that's what God has given you, are you thankful? Are you thankful that God has given us His life-giving Word? It's so interesting. As our brother Bruno and our elder, he comes up every Sunday and reads the passage, right? Reads the Bible to us. Are you thankful as you hear it? I know we say thanks be to God at the end, but do we really mean that? Do you know there are some places in the world right now where just to hold your Bible, can you hold your Bible right now just in your hand? Hold it. Because there are some places in the world where to hold it would be, you wouldn't do that for fear of death. Places like Afghanistan, you guys are watching the news, right? Where the church in Afghanistan has now gone underground for fear of death. And in light of the many people who are being persecuted for being a Christian and for reading the Bible, are you not thankful? That you have this word and it's opened up to you by God. Thankful. The second thing we must be thankful for as a church is discipleship. Okay, and I'm getting that right from the text. Look what he says. He says, after he talks about the Bible, he says, teaching and admonishing one another. Do you see that? So, so teaching is to instruct someone. Admonishing is to warn someone. And so what is this? This is, this is ministry. Every ministry in our church does this, right? Taking the Bible and people with, with, it's not the pastor. It's not the pastor coming up here and preaching to you. This is a one another, one another thing, right? We're doing it for each other. We're teaching each other. We're instructing and warning each other. And so my question to you is, are you thankful that there are people in your church who care enough about you to want to teach you the Bible? or who want to warn you and keep you from going astray. We should be thankful, church. For those of you who serve in ministry, can I say thank you to you? Thank you. 
For those who, when I was growing up, can I just say thank you to all those people who took time to prepare Sunday school lessons and youth lessons, people who not only taught the Bible, but also they walked the walk, so it wasn't a hypocrisy, it was something real. Thank you. Ministry can be a thankless job. Those of you in ministry, you may know this. And so we must be thankful for it, thankful in it. And the third and, and, and the last thing that, that we, we should be thankful for here in, in verse 16 what is it? Look at verse 16, the end of verse 16. Keith knows it. What is it? Singing. We should be thankful during our time of singing at church, okay? Now, I'm going to take a bit of a rabbit trail. And I'm going to come back, I promise, okay? Because now he's talking about musical worship. He says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your church, in, in your hearts. So when we have some visitors with us today, right? When these visitors saw you, the church, worshiping, did they see thankfulness in you? That's the question. Don't ask them right now. That's awkward to hear the answer, right? We'll, we'll, we'll figure out later. But did they see thankfulness in us? That's what he's asking during the worship time. So if I can give you a suggestion, and this is with all my love, I'm saying, put your phones away. Right? During worship, put your phones away. Lift up your heads Pay attention. You're in the house of God, right? You are rehearsing for what you're going to do for all of eternity. And if I can say this, and I don't want to be harsh, but I just need to say this. If worship here on earth doesn't excite you, if you think it's boring, or if you think, if you think, you know, if you're not engaged in worship, heaven is not for you. Can I say that? It's not. What do you think we're going to do there? We're going to spend eternity worshiping God. And so if you say you're a Christian, but, but, but worship is not important to you and singing praises, what are you talking about? Worship is, is part of our thankfulness. It's its expression of that. So we don't just sing because it's our favorite songs. We don't just sing because, or, or we don't not sing because the music isn't the way we like it. Okay, there wasn't enough drums. Or, well, this Sunday there wasn't enough drums. But last Sunday there was maybe too many drums. I don't know, right? Sometimes we, we say those things and we say, oh, that's why I'm not going to sing. No, we sing because we can't help it. Heart, the thankfulness is overflowing from your heart. You say, thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son as we're going to sing in a few moments. And as an, as an aside, church, here's my rabbit trail. Um, you should know this. Verse 16 is one of the most important verses in the whole Bible for music ministry leaders, okay? Like our brother Keith and those of you who lead songs. Because if you look at verse 16 carefully, look at it carefully, you'll notice that Paul is connecting three things. The Bible, right? The Word. Teaching and singing, right? The Bible, teaching, and singing. And so what is Paul really saying? He's saying that singing is one way we teach each other. We teach each other. Singing is one way that we let the Word of God dwell in us richly. And the first time I understood this, I, I, I'm telling you the truth, as a worship leader, this was a few years ago, I was so convicted. Because I realized if that's the case, like the songs we sing matter, right? If that's the case, if singing is a teaching, a form of teaching, and if singing is how we get the Word of God into people's hearts, 
The songs we sing matter. They should be saturated with the Bible. That's the purpose, to get the Word of God into people's hearts. And so, just as my son, John, he, he's learned his alphabet. You know how he learned his alphabet? You know, singing. A, B, C, D, right? Or Baba Basi, whatever. It's, a lot of songs are similar, right? Similar tunes, anyway. But they learn through song. And in the same way, worship, the time of worship, is a time of teaching. So what's, what, what am I trying to say? Don't come late for worship. Don't, don't think worship is just the warm-up for the sermon. It's not. It's not. Worship is not. Worship is a time of teaching. Come ready to hear from God. And so as Paul concludes, verse 17, whatever you do, word or deed, do everything in the name of of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God through him. And um, on this, I have to say, this verse particularly, if you want to see this in action, come to a Thursday night, a prayer meeting, where I am just so blessed by you all, those of you who come and you testify and give thanks to God for even the smallest blessings, right? Thank you, God, that I got through traffic today. That's, 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 not, that's not the same as the person who said, thank you, God, for healing me from cancer. Those are different things, and yet we are called to give thanks for everything. That's the spirit that we are to put on. And so as I close, um, these are the spiritual clothing that Paul has told us to put on, love, peace, and thankfulness. And um, as I prepared to share this message, I have, to, I have to be honest with you, I looked in the mirror and I thought, man, I have got a lot of old clothes that I have to get rid of, and I have these new or should we say borrowed clothes that I need to put on. And when I first looked at this text, I just thought, this is overwhelming, right? This is kind of daunting. Like, how are we going to do this as a church? How are we going to even begin to do this? But as Paul began this whole passage in verse 12, we must begin by remembering what? Our identity. Remember that you're not the same person you once were before Christ. You are different now. You have a new identity. And so you need to dress differently. You need to dress in a way that is consistent with who you are now. And so if I can leave you with one thing as I, as I, as I end this, uh, I want to leave you with this, this, this kind of summary. Because you are dearly loved by God, love each other. Okay? Remember your identity was loved, right? You're loved. Because of that identity, put on love. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is, because you are holy in God's sight, live at peace. Put on peace, right? Your identity is holy, so therefore put on peace. And lastly, because you are chosen by God, you have been chosen by God. And if that's the case, if that's your identity, put on thankfulness. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Many people in the world have lots of things, real things to worry about, like their eternal future, but you don't because you've been chosen. Be thankful. And so as the worship team comes, I can't think of a better way for us to start practicing these, um, putting on our new clothes than to sing, right? To worship God with thankfulness in our hearts. So as they come, can you stand with me and we'll pray and ask God to help us to put off the old clothes and to put on the new. Let's pray.
Father God, I just thank you so much for this morning that you brought your word and laid it to bear on our hearts. And we are your people, and we know we have some um, outfit changes that need to happen in us. There are some old clothes that need to go, and there are some new clothes, some clothes that Christ has given us that we need to put on. Help us, O oh God, those of us who are truly saved, help us to take this seriously. If we have unforgiveness in our hearts, if we have not been compassionate and kind with one another, O oh Lord, if we have lived lives of chaos and disorder without experiencing the peace that you've given us, or Father, if we um, are grumbling, if, we, if people look at our face and all they see is complaining and grumbling, Lord, forgive us because we have every reason to be thankful, every reason to be thankful. So be with us now. Help us to put on Jesus Christ. In your name we pray.